Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Well, there was some fair there, all black and brown and covered in hair. It only took me, I don't know, three or four weeks to be able to say heavy leanings. Thank you very much, Gatto. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Hi, I'm Lot, Lady of Tarth. I am posts on Tumblr. I'm joined with Eon. Hey, this is Eon, and you can find me at Eon Blue Negative on Tumblr. Welcome back, baby. Chicky. <laughs> Hi, I am Chicky. You can find me at Chickren on Tumblr. Whitey. This is Whitey. You can find me at Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. And the heavy leanings runer, Gatto. <laughs> I'm Gatto, and you can find me at Gatto Mischief on Tumblr. Good show. <laughs> we are discussing Game of Thrones, Season 3, Episode 8, Second Sons. As always, we have general spoiler warnings for book and show, and there will always be the potential for a rate discussion because it is Game of Thrones. Yeah, it is. Uh, yep. All right, let's go into the episode. We have Arya. She awakens in the morning and grabs a rock with the intent of smashing it into the head of a sleeping Sandor. He tells her he'll give her one chance. She fails. He promises to break both her hands. She drops the rock, <laughs> I'm assuming. Because in the next shot, they're like riding a pony. And uh, the hound tells Arya how there are much, much worse men than him. He shares the story of how he saved Sansa in King's Landing. He also tells her he's taking her to the twins. Her uncle and a Frey girl are getting married. Her brother and mother will be there. And she just has this like little smile that just kind of kills me oh a little God. bit. Why? Why, Giles? <laughs> yes, this is going to have to have a happy ending, right? As with everything, yeah. totally sets it up for it. Yeah. <laughs> they really did. Like, that beautiful vista, and it's got, like, a little bit of this happy music, as happy as Game of Thrones music can get. <laughs> so much hope. It was the perky version of the Reigns of Castamere. <laughs> <Not really. laughs> no, it was gorgeous, though. That shot looking out over the river was just, like, stunning. I... I had forgotten about these scenes somehow, and when I got to them, I was just kind of like, ee, ee. they were really exciting. Yeah. I forgot how much I enjoyed the whole Sander and Arya thing, and this is just a really great beginning to it. Yeah, that dynamic. Um, I feel like. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, they have really good chemistry they from the beginning, together. don't you think? Yeah, and and like the way that they work in a little Sansa talk and stuff, it's really cool. He's yeah, I feel he's like quite the show. gentle with oh, her in a way. That's okay. He's quite gentle with Arya in a way. Um. He seems, you know, he's talking to her about how he tried to save her sister and no, he's not the worst out there. He's, he's, he's I mean, Sander as a character is quite an interesting contradiction. I mean, in the books and also in the show, I think, he often talks about how much he loves killing and when he kills Micah back in season one, he really seems to enjoy taunting Arya about that. But then you've got him in this, in this scene where he's also quite adamant um, that Arya sees him as something other than a killer, a terrible person. You know, I saved your sister. There are far worse men than me. So, I don't know. I really like the dynamic between them. I like the fact that he is, as I said, almost gentle with Arya, kind of like he had been with Sansa. 
Yeah, well, and I, I feel like, too, um, Rory McCann really came into his own when he got to this portion of his story. It just seemed like he kind of came to life. It's not that he wasn't always good before, but he just kind of settled into this dynamic of theirs. And I feel like he just really started to shine at this point and then into season four, obviously, as well. Um, these are just great, great, great scenes. And then knowing, knowing what this is setting up is also mm. totally heartbreaking. Like Lot said, that stupid smile of Arya's. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm trying to remember like what I was thinking at this point in the show because I hadn't read, I think I had only just started reading the books around mid season three, but I hadn't gotten up to a storm of swords yet. So I'm wondering, what was I thinking when I was watching this? Oh yes, Arya's finally going to be reunited with her family. It's all going to be sunshine and puppies for <laughs> Fear on out. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, ready to go on to the next, or does anyone want to chime in with anything else? We're good. Okay. Uh, next scene, we have Danny and her boys um, spying on the outside gates of Yunkai, uh, outside the walls, I guess, of Yunkai. They have um, employed the cell swords called the Second Sons to guard the city, 2,000 in all. And Danny wants to meet with their leaders. They are, oh god, these names. Here we go. Mero, <laughs> Prenda Nagizen. Oh god. <laughs> and a hot, smarmy looking Dario Nahares. <laughs> He's those gold, golden mustachios and the blue beard. What a shame. <laughs> Although he does have those, uh, creepy naked sword ladies, at least, from the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They settle in and at Danny's camp and they talk shop. Um, Danny mentions the odds are in her favor, eight to one. We learn after a bit of back and forth between them. Uh, she invites them to join her army. Meryl is quite rude, asks to see her cunt, and Grey Worm and Jorah get all protective, grabbing at their swords. Danny stops them from attacking. She offers the captains a barrel of wine. When they go, she tells Barristan, if it comes to battle, kill Meryl first. You know, they should because he is spectacularly creepy. But hey, how, how, how much did Danny and Dario want each other from the first moment they look at each other? Like, it's not just Dario, like, the d- Daddy, like, the first time she sees him, you can just tell she's like, Who's you're very young to be. Well, she says to him, you're very young to be a captain. Let me translate that for you guys. You're very hot to be a captain. <laughs> that is exactly what she's thinking. Like, I like that they kept this whole teenage infatuated daddy, the, whole, the thing that was happening in, in the books. I really like that they've put that on the screen. Obviously, she looks a little bit older in the show, but I think it still works. But she clearly wants a piece of that. You know, I had forgotten how much Ed's screen really played book Dario yeah. better than I think Michelle um has been I mean I, I prefer I prefer new Dario, don't get me wrong, but I, I I really do feel like he was trying to channel some some book Dario without the blue beard and everything, but or blue mustache or <laughs> well, whatever it is. If he you're was, a, he had charm kind of thing happening. I think he did it really well. And yeah, I I tend to agree with you. I do I do like new Dario better in some ways, but I do think that old Dario did sort of capture more of the essence of book Dario. Yeah, that cockiness. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think we both kind of have had that back and forth with the new Dario. Like, he's just too yeah. likable. Like, I don't think Dario's supposed to be that <laughs> likable and down to earth. Lot, you know. uh, Lot wants a piece of it, too. <laughs> well, come on. We saw that ass. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> on like um that Miro guy, didn't he mention there's this blonde haired prostitute in Lee's yeah. she's got blonde <laughs> the blonde hair and it, isn't there like somebody in the books? Yeah, she's in Volantis now in the show, <laughs> right? Did we see her last? Yeah, they season? did it in Volantis in the show in season five. They showed that prostitute. Very surprised if there weren't more than one Danny lookalike prostitutes throughout it's the uh, free right I now. mean, come on. Yeah. Okay, let's go on to the next scene. It's uh, Gendry and Melisandre. They're arriving at Dragonstone. Um, Stannis looks at Gendry's face and confirms that Gendry is half Roberts and half Lowborn. Melisandre orders Gendry to be given a bath and clean clothes. Stannis, Stannis wonders why she's bothering. If she's going to kill him, just kill him. And, uh, she kind of, we get this, like, uh, slaughtering of a lamb analogy. And, uh, he asks, you've killed many lambs? And she says, none have seen the blade. Did she have sex with all of them first? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get to that scene. Let's hold off on that. <laughs> okay, let's let's but go to seriously. No, but this scene, I, I I'm really confused and like not confused enough to actually go look up the answer. In the show canon, has Stannis not seen Gendry before this? Is that oh. the show canon? I don't think that we've seen it. I don't know because in book canon he went to Tobomot's shop yes. with John Aaron, but it, it that didn't that wasn't the the show canon because no, I can't no. it was no, um, Ned, Ned and Ned, Jory. Ned went in the show, right? Yeah, Ned and Jory. Yeah, but before Ned went, John Aaron and and Stannis had gone to see Gendry, and then after that is when Stannis left King's Landing, right, and right, Ned finds that out. That's pre-show. Yeah, canon, so no, it didn't happen in the show. No, I meant yeah, I in the, the sh- in, in, in the books. The Ned finds out from Tobo Mott that both John Aaron yes. and Stannis had, had been at Tobo Mott's shop, and I know that Tobo Mott at least told Ned that John Aaron had been there. So I was like, did they omit Stannis from that part? I, I couldn't remember. They did. I think yeah, in the show they they never mentioned Stannis. It was just John Aaron. Yeah, that's my. If I'm not yeah. yeah, mistaken. Well, I'm sure if we are mistaken, we will hear about it. <laughs> we'll hear about it. Please, yeah, we're sure. okay. Don't, don't. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> any, listeners out there, any listeners out there that know different, please write in and tell Godo and I that we're yeah. wrong. Yeah. Yes, any masochists please. out there who are trying to keep track of what show canon actually is, please write in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next scene is also a Stannis scene. Um, it's with Davos. He's practicing his reading in his cell when um, Stannis comes to pay him his respects. Uh, okay, how cute son. is Davos trying to learn to read? Oh, yes. But can you imagine, like, how hard? I mean, it's hard enough to learn to read normal English. Imagine having to learn George's English, like, <laughs> instead of uh, <laughs> Ka- Caitlin and Cersei went to meet with Brienne, Davos would be like, Catelyn and Cersei went to meet with Brian. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> Brian. Brian. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. If, if you don't like Davis, I don't want to know you as a person. So they're just putting that out there. <laughs> that's okay. I don't think that's actually possible. Yeah. Okay. Well, just alienated our one listener who doesn't like Davis. Glad. Glad. Okay. <laughs> Stannis lets him know of Melisandre's intent to sacrifice Gendry. Davos calls him an innocent, and Stannis asks, What is uh, one bastard boy for a uh, kingdom? Davos asks, What do you want? Stannis wants to free him, needs to promise he won't harm Melisandre. Davos says he can promise that, but he can't promise he will not speak against her. 
And he offers this a bit. You are not a man who slays innocents for something or glory. Gain or glory, that's it. <laughs> Stannis speaks of a great battle in the snow, a vision of in the flames. He adds, you saw whatever she gave birth to. How can you deny her God? How can you deny her God is real? Boom, boom, boom. I'd really like to know what this great battle in the snow is because pretty the battle serious? we saw last season was pretty sad. Ryler <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only showed him the good bits, I suppose. <laughs> just, like heavily just showed, edited. Just showed, just showed him like the bit where Stannis is walking up before they stamp yeah. his army. That's the whole thing. With his <laughs> I mean, I feel like I've beaten to death the show's subtle differences with Stannis and, and this is one of those scenes where you kind of see that um Stannis's wishy-washiness and, and his bizarre show belief in Melisandre and R'hllor which in the books you just even though he certainly uses Melisandre and R'hllor you never really get the impression that he fully he's believes he's not fully in, buying in <laughs> yeah yeah. Like yeah, yeah well, exactly. you, know, you know what though I think that they do they do sort of cling to some of the sentiment uh, surrounding how this particular scene, or obviously it's with Edric Storm in the book, is portrayed in the books. I think they, a little bit of that comes through in the show, um, that is relatively true to Stannis's character. I mean, we've got Stannis going to Davos to essentially have Davos talk him out of killing Gendry, and he does the same thing in the books where he goes to see Davos before, um, you know, deciding to kill Edric Storm or to have him burnt. Um, so I think in a way the showrunners almost get it right here with Stannis, you know, they're sort of showing, whilst I do agree with you, she gets a bit wishy-washy with the whole, does he believe in rule or does he not? I do think that the Stannis in this scene is true to the books in the sense that he's not a Stannis who wants to kill innocent people, but it's this massive sense of duty that's driving him, and he doesn't mention that in the show as well, you know, we don't, I don't necessarily want to do this, but I have to do this for the sake of the realm, and he's hugely conflicted about it, um, as he is in the books, so, I don't know, I, I think that there is... Some truth in this scene to Stannis's character. I don't. I don't think. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah, I, I definitely think that they captured the the. It is in very much an, in spirit with what Stannis does with Davos. You know, he uses Davos like his conscience, like his yes. Jiminy Cricket on his shoulder, and 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 it and it is certainly in that spirit. But yeah, I just have continuing issues with some of these little threads that we see. You know, back in season two and season three of where they were going to go so completely awry with Stannis. And it's just, I'm just yeah. like, no, he does not actually believe in Rolori. We're <laughs> so wrong. Mm. But, um, and you're yeah, right. No, those, those little threads start from really the very beginning of his first scene in the show. Like, that is something that they have failed to portray consistently. That is something that I have an issue with also. Yeah, but I do love this dynamic. And God, oh, God, you talk about getting them. two good actors on the screen together. Yeah. I mean, this Honestly, one of my very favourite things about the show and about the books is the relationship between Stannis and Davos. Like, the characters themselves um, are so skillfully built, but their friendship, the way that they they trust in each other, the fact that there's no pretension or bullshit between them, that is so refreshing to see. It really is one of my favourite things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've done a good job with that. I agree. 
Okay. Let's go on to the next scene. It and is... if you don't like Davos, get the fuck out. Right. Yep. Agreed. <laughs> that one listener. <laughs> Bye. Okay. <laughs> In the second son's camp, um, we uh, have the captains and Dario speaking of Daenerys. Um, they're, well, they're talking about Daenerys horrors and thrills, and, uh, Prenda wonders what they should do about the 8,000 unsullied soldiers. Rio suggests one of them slip into her camp, um, at night. They get creative with three coins and a whore. <laughs> Whoever drives the- <laughs> Is that like two girls with a cup? <laughs> oh, <laughs> what's, what's, what are you talking? I don't know what that is. Can you ex- Oh, Can you explain God. the reference? <laughs> I've never actually seen it, and I'm proud of that. I totally know what it is. I'm just trying to get her to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> explain yourself. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Whatever. Um... Okay, so whoever draws the Bravosi coin from the hand of the whore is the one that's going to do the deed. Uh, Dario draws the coin, of course, and then says, Valor Magolus. I could, I don't know, it was so hard to pay attention in this scene, though, like, that whore's outfit was very distracting. Right. <laughs> her, her, this, uh, this table runner, she was very... Particularly, this, this episode has some particularly egregious moments of just skin for the sake of skin, and that is, is one of them. Um, but I really did like, I, I, I kind of appreciate when, when Game of Thrones does this, when they, they will give a moment to breathe to characters that are, you know, only going to be in one episode, but they, they really do give them a, a chance to kind of live and breathe and, and kind of get you involved. And this was kind of, kind of one of those moments where I felt they really showcased that really well. This is actually pretty interesting little scene. It almost makes you wish that they hadn't killed Miro and Gezin so soon and that you would have gotten another episode of interaction. But Yeah, yeah I really yeah, wanted to hear like, more of Miro just like grabbing it. Like, <laughs> you just want to see the horror, let's be honest. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I think, look, personally, I think the scene maybe went on slightly too long. Um, but I agree with you in the sense that, yes, I like when they do focus a little more on the the more peripheral characters it does bring more life to the story it really makes you feel like you know it's not just um a, a, a story where we're just hopping from one major character to another they're building up the background they're showing the the characters in the periphery it gives it a bit more life so yeah i do agree with you to that extent but i <laughs> that nudity really um <laughs> probably could have been done without that <laughs> Um, and you're right, we get it later on with Danny in the bathtub as well, and I, oh, I'd probably get it elsewhere, but, you know, Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, it's called Mel and Gendry. Mm-hmm. Oh, how could I have forgotten that? There's a lot. Yeah, there is a lot yeah. in this episode. Wow. I forgot about it, too. God. <laughs> Just getting desensitized to boobies. Must be. <laughs> I've got to say, Carice does have some amazing boobies. I'm really into that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, I, we can forgive that. <laughs> Carice's body, I would probably be naked all the time, too. I can't blame her. <laughs> Alright. Next scene is uh, Sansa. Uh, she's getting prepped for her wedding when Tyrion interrupts. Tyrion attempts to ease Sansa's nerves, tells her she won't be a prisoner anymore, and that she'll be his wife, and he promises he promises never to hurt her. He also tells her today she has to drink wine. Um... I don't know if you guys want to talk a little bit about that, or should I just go right into the the set and the wedding? Um, maybe just briefly. 
It's, I mean, I think, did we talk about this a little bit last week? Uh, oh, the week before, or the week before. <laughs> when we were discussing 307 <laughs> and we were talking about Tyrion and the, you know, consistent whitewashing they've been doing with him. And uh, we do talk, uh, I don't know, I think that. The, the scene here, the pre-wedding scene, it's fairly similar to the one in the books. But in the books, um, you guys probably remember that Sansa's basically given a surprise wedding. Like, um, here she's got, I think, at least a few days to ruminate on it. But in the books, she's, Cersei has a dress made for her, but Sansa has no idea why. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's just like, surprise wedding! And she's like pushed into the set, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a little scene between Tyrion and Sansa in the book uh, where he does try and reassure her um i think it's a little bit more pronounced in the show and you'll see it later in the episode during the bedding scene where they kind of continually hit you over the head with the fact right. that he's a really good guy like he doesn't want to do this his dad is making him he's, he's a hero he can't do any wrong um you know what else was interesting um that i only picked up on a recent reread is that Tyrion tells Sansa in the books that if Tyrion had refused to marry her, then she would have been married to Lancel instead. Do you guys remember that? No, I don't. That's, I think that was really, yeah. Um, and I feel like at that point Sansa should have just said, okay, well, I'll marry Lancel instead. <laughs> uh. <laughs> could have saved us some trouble going down the line. <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't. I found that interesting. Hmm. That is interesting. I don't know. Given the option, I'd probably would rather Tyrion, but Sansa's kind of young to really weigh the options. I mean, Lancel, he, let's face mm. it, he turns into a religious zealot, and that's no fun. But he may not have <laughs> if, you know, he had a good woman. Am I writing fanfic right now? A little bit, yeah. The vagina will save you, Lancel. <laughs> Okay, let's go on to the next bit. Um, it's with Cersei and Marjorie. Um, they're in the sept. Marjorie attempts to work her charms on Cersei, calls her radiant, and soon they'll be sisters. And, you know, Cersei is not having it. She shares the story of the rain, um, house reign and the rebellion against the Lannisters, how they are all now dead. And it's all was on the command of Tywin. Uh, he had their rotted bodies at Casterly Rock over a very long summer. Cersei also adds, call me sister again and I'll have you strangled in your sleep. Mm. Ouch. Ouch. Um, Sansa, <sighs> okay, we'll get there. Sansa enters the sept. <laughs> Joffrey walks her down the aisle and when they get to Tyrion, Joffrey grabs his stool away from him, making it difficult for him to offer his cloak to Sansa for protection. There's lots of giggles at this point and then the wedding, wedding ceremony continues. There's giggles, but did you notice the death glare from Tywin? Like, he turns around and glares at some of the Lannisters, and they immediately just shut the fuck up. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> notice that, actually. <laughs> That's great. Uh, uh, it was a rich, luscious scene. I'll give it that. Like, it was, the it costumes, was done. golden yeah. hues. You know what I really liked? Um, yeah, the, I'm going to say also the blocking and the camera work is really, really good in this scene, starting from when... Sansa appears, like, outside of the sept, 
and they've got her looking really, really small as she approaches the doors. Um, and then after she walks into the room, it's quite dark in there, but she's backlit by the sun. And then after Joffrey takes her on, the doors close behind them and the sun is gone. Like, I thought that was a really carefully done thing. And it just looked really beautiful as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, th- this was all a really cool sequence. I mean, pretty much starting right before the wedding and going completely through the wedding, I think these are really superb scenes and it's a really good example of of um, how Game of Thrones can throw together different actors and, and get really great moments. Um, I, I really loved the Cersei and Marjorie interaction. Oh, I mean, yeah. It again, did? That is not what I was expecting I, from you. <laughs> really? You know, I love it. I'll tell you. <laughs> This is this is one of those weird moments where I don't really get show Cersei, but it's like, how can you not appreciate mm. whatever this is that's happening between them? I mean, even book Cersei is as as wild as she can be. She would have been far more clever in dealing with Marjorie, but you know, you can. Yeah. I, I, it's funny because they they tend to play book Cersei more subtle than or show Cersei more subtle than book Cersei, but I, I mean, this this kind of fits somehow, and and I just kind of loved it as a setup for what we were eventually going to get to, you know, in season five. <laughs> Marjorie and Cersei. Yeah, um, these I, these two have great antagonistic chemistry. Uh, I think. I think they're always good together, and I think the thing that you need to do when you're watching the show, um, particularly rewatching the show, is just kind of accept show Cersei for who she is. I've battled with it for a long time, but on rewatch, I really enjoyed this scene. I think that they, as Chicky was saying, they play so so well off each other um and i love that this is how we get the story of the reigns of castamir and it's set to that slightly modified version of the song and it's just so foreboding it was i don't know just added this this gravitas to the scene um, it works with the slightly modified version of the of story of the reigns of at the very end of the story right well everything's a little bit modified but god it just worked for me and I did, I was, I did actually want to say too, Chicky, that I thought when you're looking at Cersei, like, it's not really something book Cersei would do. Um, I don't, I don't even know if I'd say she's clever in the books per se, but more that she doesn't have, at least knows well enough not to like show this overt. A little more. Truth of the Tyrells, yeah. yeah. She's a little more slyer, for sure. A little bit, yeah. A little yeah. bit. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, you know, a yeah, she does. But, you know, you just sort of have to accept it. And for what it was, I thought the scene was fantastic. Yeah. I, I do appreciate that they were able to kind of work in that backstory with the reigns of Castamere and you kind of get the idea of there's this long history of people just fearing the Lannisters. I, don't mm-hmm. know, I, I love when they can reiterate that point. Yeah. And, I mean, it was necessary, I guess, set up for what is to come in the next episode where the song plays a huge role. Yes. Yeah, clearly they needed to, to kind of mean? work that in. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? I have a good feeling yeah, about it. And then guys... as we move into the ceremony, the whole thing with, with Sansa kneeling down, I, I don't know if you guys were in fandom oh, enough to know the stuff all over that at the time. What? No. Um, what happened? Oh, okay. Oh, Chiquita, I just reread it, so. Well, in the books, in the books, um, they get to the ceremony and Tyrion is, is kind of tugging on Sansa's dress trying to get her to kneel. And Sansa has had this sprung on her. She is a captive of the Lannisters and she refuses to kneel down in front of them. You know, she, she, she knows it's going to shame her basically and, and she won't do it. And, I mean, is it the wisest move as far as strategy? Probably no, but you totally understand that Sansa doesn't want to kneel down and, and, 
you know, basically embarrass herself in front of this whole crowd of courtiers at this wedding. And instead in the show, and anyway, in, in the books, it ends up that, that, um, I think it's Joffrey who orders a stool brought and anyway. No, no, I think, it, uh, he makes Tyrion stand on Dontos actually. He brings the fool. Is that what it is? Yes. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, wow. Yes. So. Yeah, in, in, and in the show, you know, they've completely eliminated that, eliminated that because Tyrion's a good guy and Sansa trusts him right off the bat, which she never does in the books. I mean, you know, it's one of those weird fan fiction type elements. And when I know people hate it when you say fan fiction with Game of Thrones, but you hear it a lot in fandom. Why doesn't Sansa trust Tyrion? If only she would have trusted Tyrion, you know, things would have been better for both of them. And it's like, you can't blame Sansa for not trusting Tyrion. I mean, sure, maybe some things would have gone better, but you can't blame her. And, and it's like the show eliminated this argument. That, Do you that people think had that Sansa. Sansa does trust Tyrion in the show? Do you think that's why she did? Uh, much more than she does in the books, that's yes. for sure. No, I mean, I you can with tell that. just by her level of comfort that mm. she trusts him more. Yeah, yeah, yeah trust is a strong yeah. word. I wouldn't say trust, yeah. but she's not no, as uneasy you know, she... with him. And that is obviously just more of the whole whitewashing of Tyrion, that he's just so awesome yeah. and so amazing that, you know, Sansa's not, <laughs> not prepared to, to be defiant against, against him. Um, because, I mean, I guess for me in the books, this is really quite a strong moment from Sansa when she refuses to kneel. It's sort of yeah. an yeah. indication that there's still that wolf in her, that there's still that Stark in her. Um, and she, Oh, in the book, she actually thinks to herself, we don't see, we don't have the benefit of her internal monologue here. So, um, I think perhaps, uh, the showrunners were a bit concerned that by showing this, it might perpetuate more hate towards Sansa. People were already hating Sansa for what she'd done in season one with Lady and whatnot. Um, and because they've portrayed Tyrion as such a good guy, if Sansa was to fail to, to kneel, it would just make her look yeah, even that's worse. that's true. It would have made um, Sansa hate greater. But yeah, it's clearly book, why. Yeah, there's yeah. no question that that's why they, but in the they book, had her nail. We've got Sansa's running monologue, and she thinks to herself, you know, why should I spare Tyrion's feelings when no one cares about mine? Um, and I also think it's it's not just defiance; it's also Sansa clinging to that last remnant of her idealism. Because as Tyrion tries to cloak her, she also thinks to herself how. This isn't my dream wedding. This isn't how I wanted my wedding to be. She pictured this strong, tall guy, you know, handsome guy who'd sweep the cloak over her and take her into his protection and kiss her on the cheek tenderly as he leaned in to fasten the clasp. So, you know, there's a lot going on in Santa's head and there's good reason for her not to kneel, but they can't really display any of that in the show. Um, and they've modified Tyrion so much already and even modified the circumstances of Santa's wedding, like as Chicky was saying, and as I'd mentioned before, it was a surprise wedding in the books. Um, that, you know, that this particular scenario, it just wouldn't work so well in the show. It really would just lead to Sansa hate rather than people, um, admiring Sansa for standing up for something. So I can see why they didn't include it in the show. I think it could have easily been included had they not <laughs> fucked up a bunch of stuff. <laughs> um, that, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> Yeah, you can see why they didn't do it in the show. I mean, I agree with you. I think part of it, too, was, though, they didn't really replace this moment for Sansa in this episode. They didn't really give her another moment where no, she had that. Pushover. Yeah, and, and I think that really was where they stumbled in the interpretation. And it's, okay, you can't literally, you know, put this on the screen, but you need to find another way to convey this. Yeah. And I think they really did fail to do that. It's a shame because we did have moments, or at least one moment, of of uh, Sansa 
being strong. And that was when we had uh, at the black, on the black quarter where she, you know, talks mm-hmm. to Joffrey and she's really kind of standing up to him. So it's not that they are afraid to put in those little moments. Um, I think, yeah, they're just worried that it wouldn't have worked there. But, yeah, I don't know why they couldn't have added something else. Elsian, I guess. Only against the bad guys, right? And clearly... Right, and Joffrey, who is clearly a villain. Can't right. have them against our white knight, Tyrion. Yep. I gotta just give a special nod, too, in this scene when they had that eye exchange with Alana and Tywin. <laughs> it was kind of like... Eye <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just Tywin's moment of being a bit of a dick and saying, ha ha, oh. I won. <laughs> That's foreplay for them, Mark. Yeah. Well, it was hot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go on to uh, the Just next. Forgot about the next scene: Gendry and Melisandre. Um, they trade stories about their childhood poverty. She offers him wine, um, drinking it herself to prove it's not poison. Melisandre tells him the Lord of Light brought him to her so that she can draw his power from him. She takes off his shirt and gets naked, luring him to the bed where she fucks him, ties him up, and leeches him. <laughs> Gendry pleads with her, and then Davos and Stannis enter the room. With the- this part was hilarious. Like, are they at the door listening? Like, how did they know to come in at this moment? That <laughs> awful. Yeah. Isn't it when your uncle and his boyfriend walking on <laughs> your uncle's girlfriend? <laughs> weird. The last person you want to have watch you have sex with someone is status. It's really just standing there grinding his teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then, well, I should mention she does her little leech spell too, where, you know, um, she pulls the leeches onto the fire, usurper Rob Stark, usurper Balon Greyjoy, and usurper Joffrey Baratheon. I have a question. Which leech do you think was the penis leech? Do you think it was Joffrey's? No, it's clearly Balon Greyjoy's because that's the one that didn't work. <laughs> right, exactly. I remember at the time this originally aired, um, there, was some book, there was some book readers that were really concerned that it was the whole leech thing was too big a giveaway as to who was going to die later in the book, uh, later in the show. But you know, I guess since Balon is still apparently alive and kicking, it wasn't so much. <laughs> Dick leech blood <laughs> was not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, this scene. I mean, it is what it is. This is just, this is a Game of Thrones interpretation of what goes on with Edric Storm. I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. That's the impression I got, Chicky, when I was reading the books, not you. <laughs> That's what you were visualizing. Spot That's on. What I, was... I mean, it's, it's, it's comedic. I mean, like, there's nothing to do with that. Laugh. Well, some of the lines, like when Mel, oh, let's yeah. show you what you have inside you. And I'm like, if you oh, keep around on top of him like that, Mel, I think we're going to see what's inside of him sooner rather than later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure that was a happy ending that Gendry had envisaged. God. I love how she has to be completely nude, and yet they, all they do is tease, like, a little bit of his pubic hair. I'm sorry, and it was such a tease. Like, that would, that was certainly done deliberately. I mean, come on, the camera's yeah. panning down, panning down, cut away. Not that I was yeah. for it to pan down further. No, I'm okay with this uh, creative choice. <laughs> no offense yeah, to I mean, Henry. I'm still to have a scene where a woman is fully naked and the man is fully clothed. I mean, 
it was just what a couple of episodes we had Rob and Talisa where you know they're having sex and then he immediately robes and she just lies there naked for like 20 minutes um got this one then we've got later on Danny in the bathtub I mean oh, wait, let's wait till we get to that to go oh god all right so we'll get to the nipple bath scene in a bit <laughs> All right. Uh, next scene, we have Tyrion, and he's getting right drunk at his wedding feast. Olena goes over um, with Marjorie and Loras, their new family dynamics and relationships once they wed Joffrey and Cersei, respectively. Um, respectively. Loras isn't having as much fun with it as Olena is and then leaves the table. Tyrion is super-duper drunk. Sansa excuses herself. Joffrey follows. Tywin gives Tyrion a stern talking to. He needs to be able to perform, and he adds, you will do your duty. After he leaves, Tyrion raises a glass to Loras, who is watching from above. Loras attempts to do his duty by talking to his intendant, Cersei. He opens up with, my father once told me. She shuts him down with, nobody cares what your father <laughs> once told you. <laughs> She's it's, just saying what we're all thinking. It's a great exchange. That one brings the giggles. Uh, Joffrey finds Sansa alone and of course he goes off about tormenting her and threatens her with rape Joffrey announces to the crowd it's time for the betting ceremony Tyrion objects rather violently threatening Joffrey and shocking everyone present Tywin tries to defuse the situation Um, Tyrion makes jokes and then drunkenly takes Sansa away stop here (laughs) okay (laughs) Did anyone else, I don't even know if you guys are going to get this reference, but I feel like Dinklage was totally, like, channeling Dudley Moore, like the Arthur <laughs> movies. Has anyone ever seen those? Like, yes. <laughs> like, that is totally what his reference was for this drunken night. <laughs> Whatever oh. it is. Okay, I have to admit something, and it's totally stupid, but you know how he says, I am the god of tips and wine? I figured someone would have made a YouTube video of that, and they have. There's a ten-minute version of it. Feel like oh God. if if you know if you watch any YouTube video this summer, make sure it's that one. <laughs> <laughs> so we just type in the God of Tits and Wine in YouTube, and, and we wine. will find your pretty much okay because Tits and Wine could pull up quite a lot of results. Lot knows from prior experience. <laughs> this whole wedding, this whole wedding reception, I guess you call it. Is all really, really good. I mean, like, I, I just kind of love it. I love the way that it moves. Um, I, I feel like the direction was really good with it. Um, I, I, I kind of love the little Tyrell family moment, even if I didn't follow all of the jokes that Elena was trying to make. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I love the tiny little moments, like the little Cersei and Loras moment. And yeah, they had um, so many main characters to keep track of and they did it beautifully, didn't they? They really yeah. managed to get everyone in and it was funny and it was engaging. I, it was it was really good. I mean, considering that this is, I mean, you know, it is momentous for Sansa and Tyrion, but this isn't a massive show moment, but they really kind of dug into it and kind of made it something. And you kind of have to appreciate that. Um, I, I don't know. I, I wish that we had more moments like this, just like these kind Me of like too. put a bunch of Game of Thrones characters in a room and see what oh. happens. More <laughs> weddings, isn't that, isn't please. That <laughs> isn't that what they did with Littlefinger and Rich this season and see what happened oh, there? Oh, right. No, that was a bad <laughs> wedding. Less <laughs> weddings, please. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> Only the good weddings, please, like these ones. Just good ensemble. Yeah, let's have good ensemble scenes because those really are my favorite too. Yeah, they handle them really well. Yeah. 
Uh, so anyway, they go to their chambers, and Tyrion goes directly for the wine. He asks Sansa her age and tells her he's uh, been demanded to consummate by Tywin. Sansa helps herself to some of the wine. She begins to undress, and then Tyrion tells her to stop. He says he won't share her bed until she wants him to, and she says, what if I never want you to? And he raises his glass and says, so my watch begins. Then he passes out. Hmm. Sansa, if you're going to take liquid courage, you're going to need a lot more than one sip to like get through it. <laughs> she literally <laughs> takes a tiny sip. Um. Yeah, okay. So there's Centurion whitewashing here. I... I think, to be fair, he does behave fairly similarly in the book scene as well. I mean, yes, there is that that lust, there's that want that is kind of highlighted in the books that we don't really see here. But in the book, he does have similar misgivings about how young Sansa is. He is also very tentative about having her undress. Um, and he is as kind to her as he can be, I guess, while still clearly wanting her. Um, they do take it a little further. Yes, he does get naked. He does get onto the bed with her and he does, I think he touches her breast, but he then quickly puts a stop to it. So, yes, it does go a little further in the books, but I think in comparison to some of the Tyrion whitewashing the show is engaged in, this is probably one of the least problematic, <laughs> in my opinion. They did, they did at least try to convey that he was interested in having yeah, sex but, with her. I mean, I think they did the try to... Did. Well, that, but even, even in this scene, there, uh, kind of the way that they framed Sansa at the bed undressing and, and the way that he was watching her, yeah. you kind of got a little bit of that feeling. He also had that I line mean, too know. where he's like, I could do it. Like, I think he does say yeah. that at some point in the scene. Yeah. And the, interestingly, this, I mean, you would say this was a Tyrion point of view scene, right? Because in the books, it's a Sansa oh, point yeah. of view. So yeah. 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 It's interesting. The difference. Yeah. They kind of eliminated Sansa's point of view mm-hmm. from the entirety of this episode. To I feel the like, entirety is, of this show. Well, you know, why don't you just say it? Because, um, yes. Yep. Um, which is upsetting and, and obviously would be an ongoing issue, as we will see in later seasons. But, you know, what are you going to do? Like the... Complain about it repeatedly. I mean, it's all we do. <laughs> Sorry. Sometimes you just can only bash your head against misogyny for so long without saying something. Yeah. Good times. Okay. <laughs> Let's go right. to <laughs> let's go to Danny's camp. <laughs> Miss well, Sandy. Oh, there's no misogyny there, right? No. Sorry, never. Oh. <laughs> okay, guys, hold hold up. <laughs> In Danny's camp, we have Miss Sandy. Uh, she's giving a bath to um, Daenerys, and she's correcting Danny's Dothraki. Miss Sandy lets out a yelp as Dario grabs her and holds a knife to her throat. He lets her go. Danny asks if he's there to kill her, and he says he doesn't want to. Then he rolls the heads of his captains out of a bag. He- <laughs> you know, it's so weird because my last boyfriend also wooed me with the heads of two cell swords. It's <laughs> hot. It's hot. hot. That's what women want. Yep. Fuck this flowers. Give me the heads of my enemies. You, <laughs> Dario, would disagree with you about the whole flower thing. That's right. See, old Dario again. Winner. Clearly. <laughs> Wait, doesn't, doesn't Jamie have a line of the, about this where, uh, Ilan Payne gives, uh, uh Pia? Pia, her rapist, yes. uh, head, and she's smiling, and doesn't Jamie <laughs> think that Tyrion would have said whatever became oh, of giving yeah. women flowers? <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Good tie back. I like it. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. 
Dario tells her he didn't like their commands. Um, they fought and he killed them. Danny gets out of her tub and asks if he'll fight for her. He kneels and says, the second sons are yours. Uh, okay, okay. So we got to talk about it. Around the time of season three, there was a rumor going around that one of the actresses on Game of Thrones declared they were no longer going to do nude scenes. Mm. There were discussions about who that may have been. There were several contenders, I believe. There mm-hmm. were, um, I think most people kind of landed on Esme Bianco just because yes. her character was written out. But a lot of people thought then, and I continue to think that it was probably Amelia Clark. And if there was a scene that would spur her to make that kind of declaration, I feel like it was this scene. Yep. This nudity yeah. serves no purpose other than titillation. That's and, the only reason that it's here. And to further nice. back that claim, Amelia, <laughs> I recently read a quote from Amelia that says that I think someone had misquoted her. This is fairly recent. And misquoted her as saying something like, uh, you know, she won't do nudity. She hates the nudity in Game of Thrones. And Amelia actually come out and uh, addressed that and said, no, that's not what I said. I said that. Um, I think that there may be some, I'm not quoting her, so this isn't what she said specifically, but I'm trying to paraphrase what I recall because I read it very quickly. Um, I think she said something like, there may, she thinks there might be, nudity may be a little bit overused in Game of Thrones, but when she feels that a scene calls for nudity and it makes sense to her, then she is happy to do it. So I think that lends credence to it. I think that a scene like this where the nudity is clearly, clearly yeah. unnecessary. Like um, how many times can you put her in a bathtub and justify it, right? Just, just have her walking around naked for no particular like She just reason. bathes all the time. I'm actually surprised that they didn't have her in the standard Carthine gown where she would be bearing a breast. Yeah, that makes sense. Actually. Yeah. But then it might have interfered with like their promotional posters. Maybe <laughs> they'd have to put like a like a, like a sort of a, a dragon just right. flying in front of her at the right moment. <laughs> dragon pasty. But you know, nudity aside, how aroused was Danny in that scene? <laughs> Like, I'm pretty sure if Missande wasn't there, Daria would have been in that tub with her in about 30 seconds flat. <laughs> just have been cold, you know. That's not what I was saying, Eon. <laughs> what is it with Eon and Rex nipples? <laughs> she understands them. Why do you? She understands them. She's a scientist of <laughs> sorts at the nipples. <laughs> did you ask Mr. Eon his scientific opinion? Yes. What did Mr. <laughs> uh, did he weigh in? We need to know. He is our official correspondent. Exactly. <laughs> I haven't asked him. We'll find it. Tune in for that next week. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. But, you know, other than the gratuitous nudity, it wasn't the worst scene in the world. I mean, I didn't mind the way that Danny behaved in this scene. Uh, I kind of liked the way she, that she was kind of trying to show that she wasn't intimidated by Dario and... I'm going to say when Dario knelt before her and and told her that his sword and his heart were hers, I'm pretty sure I could hear Jorah screaming somewhere off into the distance. (laughs) Sad Sad Jorah. Sad Jorah. Uh, Okay. So we have um, the morning after the wedding, uh, Shay bringing Tyrion and Sansa their breakfast. Uh, Shay's happy to see that the sheets are clean. And that's it. <laughs> well, like, that's all I got. I like, 
I like that she was relieved, like, that there was nothing on the sheets. But, you know, what if I did it on the rug, Shay? I mean... <laughs> You're a whore. Use your imagination. previous night. I'm not even sure he could have made it onto the bed. I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, let's try the next scene. Uh, Gilly and Sam and Baby <laughs> stop at a little shack near a weirwood tree for the night. Uh, Sam can't get a fire going. Gilly tells him they can keep warm together under the furs. They make small talk. Um, Sam asks if she's thought of a name. Gilly makes the fire as he recites some suggestions for names. He explains what family names are and then makes mention of his father. Randall. Take a shot. (laughs) Gilly thinks uh, Randall sounds like a handsome name and then Sam pleads with her, please don't name him Randall. Imagine if they called him Little Randall Craster. Oh my god! It's <laughs> <laughs> like the oh, worst the human ever. Two of the top fathers in Westeros, right there. <laughs> uh, outside, we hear the crows are going nuts. Um, they're starting to make more and more noise. Sam goes to inspect, torch in hand, and Gilly follows behind. There are hundreds of them in the, the tree, and all of a sudden they go silent. A white walker emerges. Gilly is sure he's there for the baby. The white walker shatters Sam's sword just by grabbing it. Um, he tosses Sam to the side and then goes for Gilly. She screams. Sam stabs it in the back with his obsidian blade, and it's game over. It shatters into ice. Gilly and Sam get the fuck out. Should have picked up that dragon glass oh, right? dagger, you know. Damn it, Sam! Damn it! <laughs> I mean, okay, point. I get that. I can remember probably... at the time yelling at the screen, being like, "Don't leave it there, you idiot! Get yeah, it! Get it!" it I wonder if this magical blade that just killed this freakish thing would be important to me sometime in the future. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I get that they're terrified and they might be worried there are more coming, but it takes two seconds to lean down and pick that thing up. God damn it, yeah. Sam! You had one job. Yet one job. <laughs> I gotta say, I love this scene. It is, it is so beautifully shot. Like it looked, I don't know who, who we thank for this. Like is it the director, the director of photography, the special effects teams? Like yeah. it just looks spectacular. Um, it was good and creepy, wasn't it? Like it oh, was, captured so, so many moments of those like classic yeah. horror conventions. Right. Especially with say, the crows, no, when the crows go silent. Oh, yeah. That's just yeah, yeah. great. I love that you, shit. You know when the crows go silent that it's time to get the fuck out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to say, there's this one part where the other is approaching them, and it kind of unfurls its fingers, and I could have sworn like Wolverine blades were about to shoot out of its hand. I don't even know. Rewatch it a lot, because you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Schnicked. <laughs> that, that's the sound Wolverine's blades makes in the comics. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Nobody knew that. Okay, okay. You have your two girls, one cup knowledge. I have my Marvel comic character knowledge. To each their own. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm just glad that Sam got his Slayer moment. I mean, they wrapped it in with the Gilly thing, and that's fine with me. I think this worked out beautifully. And um, I I love, you know, we've talked a lot about how they, they really did build up this whole, you know, others threat, the White Walker threat on the show. And I love the intensely terrifying way that they treat this other here. And it's like, you know that this is just certain doom for Gilly and Sam and the baby. And it's just perfectly done. I mean, this mm-hmm. is, this is one of the things that they do superbly. I just don't have any, 
I don't have any <laughs> any criticisms whatsoever about the way that they handle this stuff. Well, Gilly was fully clothed, so I'm cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, and they didn't have sex remember? right after, like, like on the top of his ice cubes. <laughs> Chicky, do you remember... Um, the synopsis for this episode prior to it airing um, included the line, Sam and Gilly meet an older gentleman. Do you remember when everyone thought that it would be cold hands? Yeah. 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 They were so much disappointed. They do that all the time, just like they taunted us with the whole Benjamin thing this season. They called the White Walker oh, an yeah. older gentleman. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually really great. Yeah. Those bastards. I mean, you know what I liked too about this scene is that moment when they're passing the tree and you hear that really creepy creaking. <laughs> ah, oh yeah, the sounds that they use for the others are great too. Yeah. That scream that the other gave as well. God, that was like soul piercing. Good scene. Good way to end it. Very good scene. Yeah, let's go on at a happy note. Uh, do we have any questions? We do, actually. We got um, a really interesting question from Kathy. Um, now, she says, Please forgive me if this has been discussed on your show or elsewhere in the fandom, but I don't remember hearing or reading about it. I have been re-watching Season 5, and I paid particular attention in Episode 3, High Sparrow, to the interactions between Littlefinger and the Boltons at Winterfell. It occurred to me to ask... What if Littlefinger hadn't been summoned to King's Landing by that weird note from Cersei? He might have eventually headed back to the Eyrie, but surely he would have stayed for Sansa's wedding, being a much more logical giver away of the bride, and perhaps stayed for a while afterwards. What would his reaction have been to what happens to her at Ramsay's hands? Just a, he's your husband, deal with it? Or would he have been pissed at Ramsay's bald-faced lie? I'll never hurt her. Or, intriguingly... Would Ramsay have been nice to her until Littlefinger leaves? Actually, I think it's quite likely that Ramsay can't get it up without causing or receiving pain, so I doubt he could have been nice and consummated the marriage. <laughs> of course, posing this question at all might seem to confer a degree of logic upon this mystifying mind <laughs> that doesn't warrant, that it doesn't warrant, but suspending disbelief for a bit, I wondered what you all thought of this sort of intriguing what-if scenario. <laughs> and then she says, thanks as always for your marvellously entertaining podcast. So, oh. what do you guys think? I don't know, I think... Okay. You go, Shikini, go ahead, though. No, you go. <laughs> Alright. I don't know, I think you have to, you have to think that Littlefinger actually cares for Sansa in some way, beyond his own ambitions. And I don't know if I truly believe that. I think it's a... a, This is my own personal thing. I think it's like, for him, it's a nice pet. It's a nice thing to claim. But if it serves his ultimate goal, I don't think he would care. I know that might not be a popular view, but that's how I feel. No, I totally agree a lot. I don't think that Littlefinger has any overwhelming altruistic feelings about Sansa. I definitely think he's attracted to her. I think he, you know, like exactly what you said, he thinks of her as as kind of a a plaything, and I think he, he wants to keep her safe for that reason, but I don't know that he's terribly personally attached. I mean, the fact that he left her there to marry Ramsay really makes that fairly clear. The other thing I'll just say is, you know, like, what would they have done if if Littlefinger were there? What would his reaction have been? And the answer is just whatever they thought would have been most interesting for the plot, because Littlefinger has really suffered more than 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 a lot of other characters um, with just being characterized for what they needed the moment in the plot rather than maybe consistently um, growing as a character or at least staying um, true to himself as a character. So it's really it's really a a difficult game to even play. I, I doubt that. 
I doubt he would have stepped in. I think, look, I think the logic thing is the the paramount consideration here, and that is that there really was no logic to the entire Winterfell storyline. I think that, <laughs> I mean, we discussed it, we discussed it at the time about how it made very little sense for Littlefinger to leave Sansa, this huge asset of his, to just leave her alone at the mercy of the Boltons without any sort of supervision. I mean, I it think. It was essentially character assassination. Well, that's it. I think Littlefinger needed to be out of the picture for the Winterfell storyline to proceed, and so so the showrunners got him out of the picture for no particular reason. So, Kathy, I think you're absolutely correct in saying that trying to speculate on this with any sort of logic <laughs> is a fool's errand because there was so little logic to be found in any of the plotline itself, you know. Um, now that season five's played out, I'm really still clueless as to Littlefinger's motivation for, for leaving Sandra there or for doing anything that he's done. Uh, so... I mean, so much of speculating on what Littlefinger would do if he was still to remain in Winterfell hinges on what his motivation for putting Sansa yeah. there in the first place was, and I still haven't a clue. It's baffling. It really is baffling. It's, I'm still perplexed. I was perplexed then. I'm possibly even more perplexed now. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Kathy. Oh. That's, I'm, not, I'm not sure that that adequately addresses your question, but I feel like that's, uh, that's all But it we was fun. It was fun to answer. Thank you. I thought you were, I thought you were saying the Santa storyline was fun. <laughs> no. Hell to the no. Hell to the no. Uh-uh. Yeah. Does anyone else, yeah. anyone else have anything to say on that? No. I think. Yeah? Oh. Go ahead. Go ahead, Gato. Do it. All right. I think that um, he really, the, his motivation of, for leaving Santa and Winterfell was that so she could be, like, take over. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I'm just kidding. I was <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, He's like, you got this, girl. Peace. You got it. <laughs> okay. I let's... disagree with you guys. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you disagree with us? Oh, no, 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 no. I totally I'm just agree joking. with you guys. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <thank> you. <laughs> Damn, I was really hoping you'd disagree with us. <laughs> that's more no, and more fun. I mean, no, it's really hard. I mean, like, like you guys said, it's really hard to say... You know what Littlefinger's thinking. It's just whatever the show needs of him, really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, can we do the thank yous now? Sure. Um, I got um, Julia from Tumblr, and it says this message is is long overdue, but I've been listening to your podcast since almost the very start, and I love it. Ah. You girls are so funny and smart, and if it's not oh too gosh. weird to say, you have become like friends to me. Oh, and Julia. my work days are so much better when I have a new episode to listen to. It's not even funny. Anyway, I thought I should finally tell you all how wonderful you are. Please keep the episodes coming. Love, Julia. Aww. Thank you, Julia. That was really sweet. Yeah, bear hugs to Julia. I love that. Yes. Alrighty. Next is an Anon that says, Hey guys, I'm not a regular listener, but I do follow your podcast from time to time. And I just wanted to say what an amazing job you do. I love all the discussions and insights and the jokes and crazy laughter. It's great and a lot of fun <laughs> and a wonderful treat for us Jamie and Brienne shippers. Cheers. Oh, I love it when not. people say they love our laughs. Our laughs. I know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> How crazy laughter. <laughs> so accurate. Maniacal, yeah. some would say. <laughs> <That's me. laughs> so, thanks, Anon. 
got one from Lady Warblade Angel, and I'm going to cover some of it. Um, she says, I think that this podcast is totally amazing and cool. Then again, it's the only one I listen to, so I haven't got much to compare it to. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> but hey. You don't need to listen to any other any other ones. This is it. <laughs> we're, we're really good if you've never listened to another podcast. <laughs> says, but hey, you do realize that all I could think about when you were discussing the Viper and the Mountain was seeing Xerxes' face was the Kool-Aid jug from Family Guy. <laughs> The big jug full of red Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid that says, oh, yeah. <laughs> I just imagined that was Cersei in her head, but possibly with a giant jug of wine rather than Kool-Aid. Also, I'm liking this visualization also, more and more. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> also, once I've actually caught up with all of the episodes, which should take me about a week, considering that I'm always listening to it, I'd love to one day Aww. be a guest on your panel. At your pleasure, of course. Aww. You'll probably be hearing more from me soon. Nods. Good luck in all that jazz. Great. Aww. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Oh, so awesome. And we love to have guests, so yes, please, sign up. If you want to guest, please, please send us a message. We do love fresh blood around here. Yeah. Fresh blood. Fresh blood. <laughs> More tributes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Another Anon says, hey guys, I love the podcast. You do such a great job. Thank you for all the wonderful episodes. I haven't read many in Song of Ice and Fire fanfics, but just from last episode, I really, I already love yours and I'll certainly be reading all of them. Aww. I was reading Feast Rose and on Cersei too. She remembers having once heard Tywin basically tell eight-year-old Jamie that love is worthless. We all know how important love is to Jamie, so I was wondering if you had any thoughts on how Tywin's words may have impacted him? Actually, this is a... I mean, that's a good question. Should we address it now? Should we leave that for... Clearly, it didn't stop Jamie from being in love with everything and everyone that he loves. I was about to say, I don't think it had... if it had any impact at all, it would have been to spur him on in another direction because yeah. Jamie is essentially all about love. I yeah. mean, he basically yeah. lives for love. He does the things he does for love. Opportunity yep. to yep. rebel a bit against yep. Tywin, I think. Just mm-hmm. do the opposite of what he wants. Good question. And thank okay. you for the message. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Um, next is from Doxy Mo- Molly. Doxy Molly? Doxy Molly. Hey. Hey, lovelies. I'm so sorry I took so long to say it, but thank you so much for having me as a guest. I had a great time, and you all were so welcoming and hilarious. Do any of you have significant others that listen to the podcast? Mr. Mully absolutely insisted on listening to the one I guested on, and it was one of the most <laughs> horrifying things I've ever gone through. <laughs> I sat there cringing at myself in horror. I hope none of you have had to experience it. It's a secret sadist. Maybe not Ramsey level, but it's there. Oh, <laughs> God. Doxa, talk about every single week when we listen to podcasts. We still die every time. Yeah. Some of us don't listen every week anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not I me. I listen to the ones I'm on. Uh, really? It's so hard to listen to yourself. It never stops being hard. It, yeah, it never does. It never stops. I mean, I've let Mr. Ian listen to him, and 
he thinks my voice is like so sexy, but it's like whenever I hear <laughs> well, my voice, do. I just He's sound like I just sound like a dumbass whenever I listen to my voice. <laughs> I think that's what everyone thinks about their own voice. I think that's natural. You all are crazy. I love the sound of my own voice. <laughs> I literally only listen to podcasts that she's on. That's not true. That is not true. <laughs> At least one Oh, see, she also says I've been loving all the episodes so far. I love the season three recaps, the spoiler epi- episodes. Who fucking knows, dude? <laughs> RPG eps. I was in wicked suspense to find out if Chicky was gonna make it. Stay tuned for the next RPG get, by the way. There's more. To <laughs> gonna record yeah. that soon, guys. Patreons, get it early. This, Just saying. This next RPG episode. <laughs> Well, you should be, because we're probably going to offer yeah. your maiden head to people again. Get, get ready, Eon. I'm clearing the table as we speak. <laughs> There's deals to be brokered. <laughs> okay, let's see, where is she saying? I've tried to see. And She's talking about the newest fanfic episode. I've tried writing fanfic, but I was... I'll, I end up scrapping it because I either lose steam or I can't stand the feeling of embarrassment. I don't get mm. why I'm even embarrassed. I love reading fic and admire fanfic authors and their ability to not only entertain, but to be truly talented. So I can definitely re- relate to you all on that note. Can't wait for part two. It's coming. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, yeah. Wait a minute. Just take a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, go ahead. It should have already, hang on. It should have already aired, right? It's already <laughs> happened. It's already <laughs> happened. <laughs> Patrons also get it early. Hope you enjoyed it. It happened last week. Why? <laughs> since you're the only one here who was on it, the, the fanfic apps are fabulous, and you did an amazing job. The whole panel was so good. Yeah. They were I, awesome. Yeah, so I honest. I had the same feedback. I thought it was really, really well done. I thought, um, so entertaining and so funny and I just really, really enjoyed listening to them. Thank you guys. Like, that's, I really appreciate that. Cause like, it was, it was, I didn't really know what that one was going to turn out like, but, um, everyone on the panel was so just honest and gracious and like supportive of each other. And I, it had like hats off to the, the people on that panel. They, they really were. That, yeah, I love the way that everyone talked to each other on the panel. It was really beautiful. It was a great, it was a great moment to see creative women getting together and talking to one another. Seriously, yeah. you guys all did an incredible job. Awesome. Thank you guys. Appreciate and uh, if you haven't, if you haven't read these ladies' books, please go and do so because they're all very, very talented. And if you do, fucking comment. Okay. <laughs> also, thank you, Doxa. That was an awesome message. Yeah. yeah oh, I've got to say, Doxa did also send us a picture of her latest foster dog. Who? Aww. I've got to say, I've, I've, unfortunately, we can't yet transmit images through the audio medium, but you just have to take my word for it that Doxa's foster dog is about the cutest thing ever. So thank you so much for sending that in, Doxa. She good people. Next. Cheers. Yes. Next, next thank you is from Kathy. I was totally blown away by your fanfic podcast. I can't wait for the next installment. It was like you showed me a whole new room, or more accurately, a new wing to my house that I didn't know was there. Of course, <laughs> that now means I have more rooms to dust and vacuum, but I'm still grateful. Now I just have to resist the urge to use all of my free time indulging in these fun reads. I was particularly intrigued by the idea of series characters being transplanted into modern times. What a concept. 
I love that. That's imagined anything like this. Since I'm also a librarian at university, I'm starting with Kama's Game of Stacks, and it is hugely entertaining. Although somewhat alarming that some of the situations and conversations sound like things that happen around my office. Thanks. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> what if Kama's one of your podcast. co-workers? I was going to say that Game of Stacks. great fear. I was going to say that Game of Stacks, Kathy being a university librarian, that is going to be the perfect first fic for Kathy to read. You know, tailor-made, right? Right. Like that, it makes me immensely happy that our episode got someone into reading fan fiction. Like, wow. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Let's see. We have some more. One is from, I hope I didn't, I don't butcher this. It's Bergamo or Bergamot? Bergamot. Oh, yeah, Bergamot, I think. Okay. Just finished listening to this at work. This was such a great podcast and you ladies did a fantastic job. Very entertaining and illuminating, especially because you all were the reason I started JB Fanfiction. Looking forward to the next installment. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Next is from Just a Girl 24. Great podcast, ladies. It was interesting to hear about everyone's different styles and preferences. Looking forward to the next episode. Thanks, Juggles. Thank you. Thank you. Next is from Sophie. Really, really enjoyed the podcast. Looking forward to the next episode. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you, Sophie. Sophie. She sent a lot of questions, too, so that was good for that fake yeah, episode. That was awesome. This is the last one. So, yeah. From, from Danielle N. Just now listened to this episode and was thrilled with it. Loved hearing about the thoughts and feelings of the whole panel on fixing writing. Although now I am paranoid about being the reader who left kudos with no comment. (laughs) (laughs) Better be careful. Lots coming for you. I have no shame about shaming others who do that. (laughs) There's a way to rectify your errors. (laughs) No, seriously. Thank you so much for that. Everyone left such lovely feedback, especially on the big episode. I'm really glad everyone enjoyed that. I think... uh, you guys put so much effort into it, so it's nice to see you getting the feedback for it. Yeah. It we, got, we have some damn good people listen to this podcast. Like, so nice to send us messages, like, every week. Like, love you guys. Oh, we do love you guys. Yes, guys. Keep us going. So, let's see. What can we bring up here? Oh, upcoming episodes. Um, we have the Season 6 Game of Thrones updates again. So, please submit us all your questions and speculation. Um, you can do that several ways. Uh, close the door and at gmail.com, close the door and come here.tumblr.com. Reach us or follow us at door podcast on Twitter. Support us on Patreon. Yes, uh, you get the episodes early, so do that. Um, it's, uh, patreon.com forward slash close the door. And like and review us on iTunes, please. We love hearing from you, so I hope you take the time to send us a note. Um, we always, like, as Whitey mentioned, we are always looking for fresh blood, new meat. So let us know if you'd like to guest. Happy to have you. Um, thank you guys. This was a good episode. Yeah, it was a fun one. Thank you a lot for moderating and thanks, Gotto, for guesting. Thanks, Gotto. Go make some funny videos, Gotto. (laughs) (laughs) We tell Gotto what to do now. Yeah. All right. Have a good one, guys. We'll see you later. Bye, Bye. everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.